The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California legislature. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, today we're going to be talking about several aspects of privacy and also the consumer, the California Consumer Privacy Act, which is going to be on the ballot in November. And I'm very excited to introduce Lily Lee, who is a privacy lawyer right here in Orange County, and she just wrote an article that I read in the Orange County Lawyer. It was in the same magazine that I wrote an article in, so I was all excited to see that she is doing some wonderful work in the area of privacy. So let me tell you a little bit about her. She is based in Southern California. She founded Metaverse Law in 2018. And this is after she recognized the growing market for need for legal services focused exclusively on data privacy and privacy protections. Metaverse Law builds upon Lily's multidisciplinary legal and consulting background in complex commercial claims. She also did, uh, had uh, took care of matters of intellectual property and employment disputes, and she's admitted to practice in California and before the federal court. She holds the CIPP, which is the Certified Information Privacy Professional for U.S., which I also have, and she also has it for Europe from the International Association of Privacy Professionals. You can find out more about her at privacypiracy.org and also at her website at Metaverse Law, that's M-E-T-A-V-E-R-S-E Law.com. Thank you, Lily, for joining us this morning. Oh, thanks for having me. So uh, why is it that you decided to go and into your own practice focusing exclusively on privacy and cybersecurity law? Well, over the past few decades, data has become such an important thing for companies all across the United States, and companies are really hungry for large amounts of personal data, either for machine learning, artificial intelligence, or just regular projects that they have. Um, at the same time, though, we're getting a lot of pushback from consumers, and so each jurisdiction is implementing their own privacy, data, and cybersecurity laws. Um, I just saw a growing market need, especially for smaller to mid-sized companies in how to comply with all these regulations. And so I decided to start my own practice in this space. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, even a mom-and-pop business has to worry about 
all of the data protection, security breaches, privacy laws, employee privacy laws. It's just um, overwhelming. And the big companies can have their own in-house lawyers, but the small companies really need to have some help even um, on a consulting basis. So you're absolutely right. So what do you think about um, the new laws that came into effect in the European Union, the general data protection regulation in Europe? Can you explain to my audience a little bit about it? It just became effective just recently. That's right. So the general data protection regulation, also known as GDPR, um, came into effect on May 25th. And it's one of the largest scale privacy regulations that the entire world has seen. Um, Basically, all across Europe, there are now basic security standards for all types of personal data. Um, This can range from web identifiers all the way to email addresses, all the way to a business email that has your name. And now everyone in Europe also has rights to access this data to know where people um, send their data and um, also to delete their data in certain instances. So this is a very big deal across Europe. And so how is that affecting us in the U.S.? Some people think, well, it's happening in, in Europe. It doesn't affect us. How does it affect us in actually many ways, right? Um, that's right. I mean, obviously, if you're a U.S. company and you have offices in Europe or you're offering services to European residents, then you're covered by this new law, so you have to be very cognizant of it. Um, Another thing is that I think that the sentiment behind the GDPR in Europe is also gaining traction in the United States. Um, A lot of the motivations behind behind the GDPR are based on the increasing frequency of cyber attacks, um, people's concerns about customer, um, excuse me, corporate use of their data, and we're seeing the same sentiment come across the border. Exactly. And so that kind of leads us to this, this new initiative, the California Consumer Privacy Act. And, uh, you know, California, as long as I've been living here, has really been the leader in privacy, because we even have in our constitution, we have a right to privacy. And I think there's only a handful of states that actually have a right to privacy within their state constitution. And there is no specific right to privacy in our federal constitution. It's, you know, it's assumed by certain provisions, but it really isn't spelled out like it is in our California constitution. So this major California Consumer Privacy Act is um, is really something, and it's going to be on the ballot. Can you talk about the major provisions of it, and, and we'll talk a little bit about what we think about it? Definitely. Well, the California Consumer Privacy Act really has two different components. Um, one of them is the idea of this right to know. So under the the Consumer Privacy Act, consumers will have the right once a year to go to any company that has over $50 million in revenue or which makes most of its money from selling data and ask that company, are you collecting my information? 
And if so, are you selling this information to third parties or are you providing this information to third parties for your business purposes? Um, another big aspect of the Consumer Privacy Act is the ability to opt out. So once you find out that a company is holding your data um, and is disclosing it to third parties, you can say, stop doing that. Right. And again, that is a right you'll have once every year. Right, right. Um, and then a third kind of not as major component of the law but would have a large effect on businesses is that it removes the um, proof of injury or harm in data breach cases. And so now consumers would be able to sue even if they don't have proof to the courts that they've suffered identity theft. Or some other injury, right? Yeah. Um, that's correct. Yeah. So um, it's somewhat similar to what we have in the credit reporting agencies, right? We have a right to see what they have upon us. We have a right to correct it. We have a right to um, opt out of them selling it by putting up a security freeze. So it's it's really not that strange, except now we're applying it across the board and it's giving quite a few more um, rights to consumers with regard to their privacy and their personal information. So um, what do you think is going to be the backlash or what has been the backlash by companies? Well, generally speaking, you know, even with myself, I like the idea that I could go to a company and ask them, hey, what information do you have about me and who have you provided this information to? The only concern, though, is that this Privacy Act is very broad and it doesn't really have a lot of grace periods or exemptions for um, companies that might be overwhelmed by these right-to-know requests. Right, right. Under the um, Consumer Privacy Act, as it's currently written, the Act requires companies to respond to right-to-know requests within 45 days, um, but does not provide any extensions, even if they receive thousands of requests, or even if it takes as long as 40-plus days to verify the identity of the person who's making the request. Um, and then if there is a violation of this act, there is a minimum of $1,000 in damages per violation. Um, so you can see why c companies that might have a lot of customer data will get a little concerned about how they operationally could abide by this. Right, right. It could be overwhelming for them and put them out of business. So, um, and the one thing about an initiative, it's not really, and I don't know what they're doing, it's not like when you have legislation and everybody gets involved and they can all make all these changes. It doesn't happen as easily when you have an initiative, right? So um, the, we don't have the same kind of um, negotiations that go on. Isn't that true or am I wrong? Um, that's absolutely right. Usually in the legislative process, there's a lot of period for comment and tailoring a bill when it goes through the two houses of government. 
um, with an initiative, if enough votes are cast, then the initiative becomes the law, and that's right. it. And then it takes a very long process to then overturn the law or make changes. Right, right. And I was looking at the law, and it basically said that you couldn't do anything until it becomes effective. And then all these, you know, all these companies get sued by, you know, people that are in our profession that take advantage and uh, can put lots of companies out of business because, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to comply with all this. I think the intent is uh, is helpful because if you think about all the companies that are collecting our sensitive data, you know, um, we know that banks do, we know that credit reporting agencies do, but, you know, you don't even think about these small companies that might be asking you questions online um, and, and what are they doing with that information and how are they sharing it? And maybe it's wrong. You know, I remember so many times that the credit bureaus were investigated and they found that 60% of credit reports had errors and 30% of those were enough to keep you from getting a job or a house or an apartment. So you can imagine how many errors <laughs> there are out there now in companies that have wrong information upon us. Even if you do a background check on yourself, you'll see all sorts of errors of saying that, who you know, someone who was your ex-spouse who isn't or your neighbors who weren't or your family members who aren't really your family members. It's, um, it's, it's pretty crazy. So as you advise uh, companies about this, um, what, what, are you, uh, what are you telling them? Are they asking about this and saying, what do we do, Lily? Well, it does help that the GDPR was passed recently in Europe. So at least companies have a general sense that they need to be better about their data protection. It's just really tough with the Consumer Privacy Act because we don't know where the public will sway when they're at the voting booth. Right. Um, so at this point, I mean, the best advice you can give small companies is, you know, start a data inventory, start a data map at least figure out what data you have so you know how much of a hurdle it will be to organize it and manage it. And try to get some process in place so that when you get a customer request concerning his or her data, you know where it is. And that's a, just a giant hurdle you need to get through right away. Right. And I would imagine you tell your clients not to collect data that they really don't need. Because if, then it's just more data to have, right, that they have to disclose. And what are they, if they don't need it, why collect it? Why make it more difficult for themselves? And how about deletion of data? What, what do you tell clients about keeping data for a longer period of time than they need it? Well, this really depends on the type of data they have. Um, unfortunately, it, there is a bit of a regulatory hodgepodge in terms of what records you need to keep for a certain amount of time right. by law. Um, obviously, if you do product sales, you have to keep information for product warranties, for refunds. And if you have accounting records, then you should be keeping that for at least five years. Right. 
And so it's a little difficult because sometimes there's personal data that's attached to these different records, and these different records have different retention requirements. Yeah. It, it, and now, I mean, you don't have to be a big company to collect a lot of data. If you think about these small businesses online, they have tremendous amount of data about their clients and their customers. <clears throat> so are you seeing, uh, now, you know, we talked about California being such a privacy uh, forward state. We have a, we had an office of privacy protection. We, we now have a combined office of privacy protection and security. But um, what kind of trends do you see in other states with regard to privacy? It seems that other states are also following the trend of California, just not to the same extent. Um, if we think about states that we don't usually consider to be big privacy advocates, like Alabama and South Dakota, even there, the legislature recently enacted breach notification laws where previously there were none. And I think that is a response to the increasing frequency of cyber attacks. Um, Colorado, just you know, early June, also expanded its data breach laws to encompass more personal information and a 30-day notification requirement. And then if we look over to the other coast, um, New York and Massachusetts are also very, very pro-privacy. Um, New York just implemented a series of cybersecurity regulations in the financial services industry last year, and Massachusetts it's, is creating a cybersecurity task force as we speak. Mm. So what about the federal government? What are we seeing going on in the federal government? Well, the federal government is a little bit more wary towards comprehensive privacy legislation. <clears throat> I believe the last time there was a really big push towards it was during the Obama administration, and that kind of fizzled out. Um, but if you move away from just privacy and you think of cybersecurity, Congress is pushing more towards having cybersecurity task forces and figuring out ways to respond to foreign actors when they're attacking domestic industries. Right. So um, what do you see about um, other technologies and privacy, such as artificial intelligence? What are you, what, what is your thoughts about what's happening with that and the privacy issues in there? Artificial intelligence is a very, very interesting space. Compared to other areas, AI needs a lot of data. I mean, just immense amounts of data. And the more personal data you can feed an AI system, the better the AI system will be in terms of personalizing services or creating AI processes. So I think the push towards increased privacy regulation will slow down the development of AI technologies to the extent they're dealing with personalized services. Um, on the other hand, there's, there's a lot of public data out there, so it's not like AI technology development will stop. Um, if we look at the cybersecurity field, it's the entire 
like 180 degrees. Cyber attacks are becoming so frequent and the cyber hackers are becoming so intelligent that you will need AI to deal with cybersecurity in the future to actually respond to threats. So how do you see that working? I mean, the AI will be taking over for, uh, for human, <laughs> human minds to, uh, to see the cyber attacks. Is that what you're thinking, that we're going to have to have these um, major machines and robots that will be able to offset these cyber attacks? Or, or, or do you think that AI will be doing the cyber attacks? <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely think there's some AI processes in place already for some of the cyber attacks. And then in terms of our response, I really do think AI will be part of the future. Like right now, there actually isn't a lot of human intervention when you're thinking of cybersecurity. You'll have a tech guy, but then they'll put up like a static firewall or an antivirus software. And that software right now is not particularly intelligent. It just has a database of known threats and kind of scans the computer against those known threats. Right, right. So in the future, you're probably going to see more intelligent algorithms that will look at an attack and go, hey, the nature of this attack is similar to a cyber attack, so I'm going to flag it for a person to review. Mm. And then there'll be false negatives, uh, false positives and false negatives, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the things when you have artificial intelligence doing these kinds of things. I know I got really mad at the Bank of America yesterday <laughs> just because they, uh, they flagged something as a fraudulent purchase that wasn't, and it was really, and then they cut off my, my credit card um, for several things that I made purchases online, and then I had to deal with all of it, and they said, oh, well, you know, our, our neural network uh, thought it was fraud. And I said, well, why didn't you text me? Or why didn't you call me? You've got my text and my, my phone number, you know, so that isn't quite artificial intelligence, but it is a neural network. It's somewhat like that. Make It was a non-human making uh, a judgment about whether a, a purchase that I made was fraudulent or not when it was right in my own state, you know, it just made no sense to me. So I think, you know, there's, um, some wonderful things about AI. I'd love to have a, a, a nice robot that would clean my house and cook my dinners and take care of everything for me like a robot. But, um, but I do think that there's some worries about whether or not, um, you know, we not only privacy worries, but just whether or not that they'll make mistakes. And uh, that could be a problem, right? I, I totally agree with that sentiment. Um, one of the main pillars of the GDPR, the European regulation, is that people have the right to object to automated decision-making. And so as much as I think that AI will be important for cybersecurity and should be implemented for cybersecurity, the final decision to close your account, to you know restrict access, should be done by a person at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll see some legislation on that front, too, um, on the domestic side. 
I think the technology is moving so quickly that our laws can't even possibly keep up with all this, you know, to, to even think about all the ramifications of what is happening with this. I think about the self-driving cars. What are your thoughts about the self-driving cars and, and privacy issues? There are going to be a lot of privacy issues with self-driving cars. Um, I mean, I'm very pro-environment, and I like the idea of having an efficient transit system. Right. But on the other hand, it it is a little tempting for cyber hackers or, you know, just bad actors to access the data in a self-driving car, figure out all of your driving habits, and also figure out the driving habits of others based on the communications between the vehicles. It's, I mean, on one hand, I do think there needs to be coordination in traffic, but on the other hand, I would be very okay with self-driving technology to be contained amongst multiple companies, to have the data separated, and to have the strictest controls possible. Yeah, and when you talk about hackers that could really uh, destroy the system by causing accidents if they can, you know, if they can actually hack into something. So, I mean, all of these wonderful technologies have a dark side when you're thinking about the, the dark web and the dark people who are in, you know, making use of, of uh, criminal aspects. Um, do you think that privacy regulation will be a death knell to advertising? I think that some types of advertising where there's indiscriminate tracking of folks across websites will come to an end. It might take a few years, but that type of advertising will die down. Um, but on the other hand, if we look at the... Europe and the GDPR, we have some of the strictest privacy laws over there right now. And even there, we're seeing some innovative steps by the advertising industry to deal with the consent and compliance requirements of GDPR. Mm. Um, the, the Interactive Advertising Bureau is a, in an international nonprofit, and they recently released a draft GDPR transparency and consent framework that's designed to help um, consumers consent to, oh, these are the different advertising vendors who will use my data across different websites. So you just opt into it. That's right. Yeah. I, I remember, uh, did you remember seeing the, the movie Minority Report? Remember that movie? And oh, yeah. Yeah, remember all the advertising that was going on and people, you'd walk in a store and, and, you know, it's a hi, Mr. Whatever. And um, and then, oh, you should wear this with this. And, you know, I mean, it, when it's tailored to you, it's great, but it's, it's creepy as well. So we just have just a couple minutes left, and I know that you had written an article about trends. So where do you think we'll see the most expansion in privacy laws in the next five to ten years? I think we'll see the most expansion in the Internet of Things and healthcare space. Mm. Um, right now, personalized medicine is a very big deal, and everyone's, you know, 
has a wearable device on them. Right. So as soon as we see the first major cyber attack in that area, oh, we're going to see some regulations developing in that space. Yeah, yeah. Scary stuff. And thinking of these people who have insulin, you know, the Internet of Things with insulin, that, that it automatically will, you know, read your body and add insulin. But what if somebody hacked into that and wanted to kill you if you were a senator or something? But, you know, I'm sitting here with my uh, with my Apple Watch, <laughs> that, you know, so I mean, it's it's crazy because you you love some of the technology, but you start to think about what could happen and it's scary. But we are just out of time, Lily. So would you just give your website and it's time for us to go? Oh, sure. Um, my website is www.metaverselaw.com. Well, thank you very much, and we will have you back again. You stay in touch, okay? All right, thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine at KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. 